I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is James Ball. I write every week in the New European on what's happening behind the scenes in Westminster and across the world. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us by subscribing at theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Hello, Snowflakes, and welcome back to the New European podcast. My name is Steve Anglesey. I'm the editor of the New European. If you like what we do and you want to help us keep on doing it, then please join us at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Coming up, something dreadful regarding Channel 4 that no one wants to see, and this time it's not even Naked Attraction. The media commentator Liz Gerrard will join us to explain why privatising Channel 4 is an even worse idea than showing you privates on Channel 4. Still, old Captain Kangaroo testicles herself, Nadine Doris, she thinks privatisation's a good idea. She's got some big ideas now about how Channel 4 should be funded, only a few weeks after she had Channel 4's funding explained to her on live TV when she got it wrong at a Commons committee and said C4 was in receipt of taxpayer money. Talk about being publicly owned. She certainly was there. Nadine Doris now says selling off Channel 4 will let it compete against the streaming giants Netflix and Amazon. Much like how Channel 4 now competes against Disney and ITV4 plus one competes with Pixar. Doris says the proceeds from the Channel 4 sale will be invested in independence. And that's what Channel 4 has been doing for 40 years, of course. They don't have a studio. All their programmes are made by independence. Do you know, I'm beginning to think that Nadine Doris doesn't know what she's talking about. But that's what happens when you're no stranger to camel toe and Ostrich Anus, or Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg, as they're better known. So coming up, there's Gerard, and then we'll put more blowhard backbenchers, malevolent ministers and putrid pundits into our hall of shame. But first, we asked listeners of this podcast, if there was a Channel 4 drama starring Nadine Doris, what would it be called? And we had hundreds of replies, some of the best here. Arthur Smith says, it's a sin. Jan Godfrey says, the great British sell-off. Mark Cardwell says it would be called Shameless. David Osborne says Brooksnide. Uh, Tamsie Hollands says it would be called Thick Skins. Hugh Austin says Naked Distraction. And Katie Quinn says Mogglebox. Uh, some programmes that I'm not sure were on Channel 4, but these are good anyway. Stephen Wyatt says The Thickest of It. Sarah Gadd says The Non-Culture Show. Simon Fisher says Pointless. And finally, Gideon Mitchell says the TV show starring Nadine Doris 
should be the Trunchbulls, about Agatha Trunchbull, headmistress of Cruncham Hall Primary School, and her younger sister, Nadine, who married Paul Doris. A few more of those before the Hall of Shame. Now, returning to the New European podcast is the media commentator, Liz Gerrard. Liz spent 40 years on Fleet Street, including a long spell as night editor of the time. She's been writing for the New European virtually from the start, virtually since we began in 2016. Welcome back to the podcast, Liz Gerrard. So, Liz, the, the privatisation of Channel 4 is, is a, a sort of culture war, isn't it? But it's probably not the culture war that the government are, are selling us that is happening. No, it's a different culture war. It's a complete invasion. And they're just being obstreperous and bloody-minded. And is, this, is, this is the invention of Margaret Thatcher, for heaven's sake, um, that they want to destroy. It, it's absolute vandalism which is a phrase that almost everyone has used from, you know, Tory MPs to equity to um, all sorts of broadcasting people. They're all just calling it the same thing, cultural vandalism. It's just wanton destruction for the sake of it. Yes. I mean, you you say in your piece, it's, you know, culture wars, a phrase that's been invented by older right wing people. Um, but what's happening here is, is is really aimed at giving those mostly white, mostly older, mostly right wing people an, an even louder voice. Just remind us why the government has got reason to dislike Channel Four. It, it's not um, it's not compliant, is it? It doesn't. No. It doesn't behave. You had the the former head of news called um, Boris Johnson a known liar, which yeah. didn't go well. John Snow. Um, has been very rude about the Tories over the years. He's he's made no secret of it. But of course he's retired now. Um, but so I didn't like him. And then of course there was the whole um ice sculpture thing. I mean if you remember that farce, it wasn't just the ice sculpture that that they didn't like. Um I mean if you if you remember it was supposed to be a leaders debate and they sent Michael Gove and Stanley Johnson saying, oh, we've come to take part in this debate. Well, you weren't actually invited to this party. Go away. It's for leaders only. And at the time, Johnson responded and said something like, we need to look at your licence. It wasn't the licence fee, obviously, because it's not publicly funded, whatever Nadine Doris might think. Um, but he did. he did say that, that um, at the time he threatened them during during that election campaign. So they, they don't like him. They're too lefty for him. It's an alternative voice. But Nadine Doris just doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, the idea of Channel 4 competing with Netflix and Amazon is just a joke. Um, they're not in the same market. It's like saying the New European is competing with the Daily Mail. It's they're different audiences, different cultures, different financial setups. There's nothing similar about them at all. No, and, it, and it, I mean, it's a fairly, you know, naked excuse, isn't it? Um, there's a video knocking about of the Brexiteer peer Daniel Hannan in the in the Lords this week, and he's mocking the output of Channel 4, reading stuff out like, you know, naked attraction and a place in the sun and, and, and questioning... Um, why this should be, uh, you know, a publicly owned body. Is, is Channel 4 something that we should be ashamed of or, or should we be proud of the output of Channel 4? I certainly don't think we should be ashamed of it. 
Um, I have neither pride, pride, I'm just quite ambivalent. There are things I like on Channel 4. I probably watch more Channel 4 television and BBC 2 television than anything else, I would think. I'm not a, we, we do watch Netflix, I must admit. I don't have Sky. Um, I, I like I like a lot of the Channel 4 output, but a lot of the other stuff I'm not struck on at all. I mean, I don't want undateables and embarrassing bodies and what have you, but people do want to read, watch that. And there's no reason why it should not be available. And the ownership is really irrelevant. Mm. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's I think at the at the heart of this, there is Channel 4 News, isn't there? Which I mean it, Channel 4 News Channel 4 News is is what? Are we say are we gonna say that Channel 4 News is an unbiased news program? Is is it a is it fair to say that it's a, a, a news program that is always critical of, of the Conservative Party? Is it is it a left-leaning news news program? Well, it was pretty critical of of, of um, the Blair administration. Yeah. It's just that it's so long since we've had anything other than 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 a Tory government that people tend to think it, 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 it's right for people to ask questions of the government. And when you've had the same government for twelve years, you can then turn it into this isn't questioning the government, this is left-wing bias. It's mm. not. It's questioning the government. And you go be, behind, beyond that to, to Blair and all that, they were questioned as well. Um, it's, it, the, same, the same is true of the BBC, um, except the BBC has been absolutely cowed. It's, and, and Channel 4 has not chosen to be cowed, and it carries on. Um, it probably tackles more Guardian than Daily Telegraph type stories. Yes. But, but it does invest in journalism. I mean, it's, I saw somebody get back to that Netflix comparison. I saw somebody say the other day, um, how many journalists has Netflix sent out to, to Ukraine? You know, how many reports are they coming back on that? Is it does a job. It is a public service broadcaster. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's there to serve various sections of the public and not the Tory party agenda. Yes, and it's not, a, I mean, it's not as if it delivers polemic, you know, without context, Fox News style. It's, it's a, as you say, it's, I mean, it's a serious news programme, or, or, you know, in a, in a, on a channel that isn't always um, serious. I mean, the act of revenge is clearly a factor here. You've mentioned the, the Nadine Doris's absurd statement that she wants Channel Four to to compete with Amazon and to compete with Netflix. What what are some of the other public reasons the government has given for wanting to do this? Well, the other thing they say is that it needs to be able it needs to be able to borrow money. Yes, I don't really understand this. No, um, it's it's a weird one, this one. They are not allowed to borrow, as, as I understand, um, and I'm far from an expert on this, um, more than a certain amount of money. I, I, I've got, don't, I was going to say, don't quote me on this because I'm speaking, but, but I, don't hold me to this, but I, I've got 200 million lurking in my mind and I've no idea why, but I've got a feeling that there's a ceiling on how much they can borrow. 
Yes. And the the argument is that if they were in private hands, they could then go to the markets and borrow more money. But in public hands, they could borrow more. If the, if the government thought that it needed to borrow more money, the government could help them to borrow more money from the places that the government can borrow money from at more favourable rates and just lift that limit. But they don't want to borrow any more money. <laughs> It's this notion, and, and it comes back always the same thing, is, oh, we could do this if we did this, but do we want to? I remember going well off piste here, sitting watching Michael Gove in the pre-referendum mm. um, debates, and I, I was ever so depressed after after this debate because I thought this man has just won this debate for the Leave campaign because he was smooth and, and, and he commanded the, the day. Mm. But one of the things he said, apart from defending that 350 million figure, which was brazen because it had still been knocked uh, to, out, out the park, was he said that we could, if we left the EU, remove fuel duty, VAT on, on energy. Hmm. And I remember sitting there on my sofa thinking, you could, but you wouldn't. There's no way you ever would. And so the idea that you've got the capacity to do something that you would never countenance doing is, is hardly an argument in, in rational world anyway. No, that's right. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, there is no real rationality. Um, in this. Nadine Doris has also said that privatising Channel 4 is going to help regional production. There's evidence from elsewhere that it, it's going to damage regional yeah, well, I think that I, I wish I had the 100,000 100, jobs. I mean, all the regional produ production. What, what she doesn't understand is this whole, no <laughs> this whole notion that they commission stuff Yes. They don't actually own it. Yes, they have no studios. They have no studios. They have no... I mean, I felt oh so sorry for some chap in Will Radio 4 yesterday morning on the Today programme. And he was a fund manager and he'd obviously been called up, like you call me up, and asked me to know about everything to do with the media. And this poor chap was expected to know about everything in the entire business world. And he was asked what, about... Channel 4 and whether he would invest and he said well um, he's, then he burbled on about Clive Myrie for a minute or two and then he was pulled back and he said well content is everything and I thought this poor man he doesn't know what he's talking about because they don't have content no. they, they don't have a library they can't go and sell stuff off when, when you know, sort of, they, they can't go and, and make a fortune out of the stuff they make like the BBC does. They can't go and sell Top Gear around the world um, and that sort of thing because they, they don't own it. They don't own Bake Off. They commission it. They can't make money out of that and they can't compete with the, with the people who do. And so all these people, going back to what you were saying about the, the regional production companies, they are so diverse and so um, eclectic in the stuff they do, right, from, you know, sort of tattoo repair and all sorts of things. Yeah. That might be BBC3, I don't know. But, but they do this stuff that other people wouldn't commission. Certainly no American 
big brand who might come in and buy Channel 4 aren't going to go to some little studio in Western Supermare and, and commission stuff on removing tattoos. It's just not going to happen because it's such a minority interest. And the idea that you would sell something and then reinvest the money, you spend all the money in exactly on on supposedly levelling up and helping the people that you whose jobs you've just destroyed. I mean, the, the thing is that I think that there's, they reckon that it's a, over the next 10 years, it would, this would cr- create a, a billion pound hit on independent production companies, yes. which is what on a very good day they might just get for to sell it um, if they relax the remit to such a degree that it stopped it being Channel 4 altogether and just made it into another anything, Fox or any any other any other random company that you want to think of. Um, but I mean I think that when it was last when they last ran around this block they thought it was worth about 500 million. And it's a drop in the ocean for the Treasury. Um, and yeah, however desperate the, the however desperate the Chancellor may be, it's just there's no point in it. Is there is absolutely no point in it? There's no financial benefit, there's no cultural benefit. It is such a bad idea. Everyone thinks it's a bad idea, apart from this government, of course. And and, and you end the piece by talking about three people who have, have you know helped to drive this one one man and two women who've been instrumental in, in forcing this through, uh, perhaps. Um, just so, so it's about John John Whittingdale's John party. Whittingdale. John Whittingdale is the one. He, I mean, he was he was a culture secretary. He's very much on the side of the of the of your mainstream right wing media. Hmm. Um, very much on the side of them. He was. He was a minister, I think, under Cameron. I think he, his career has gone, you know, he's passed his best, if you like. So yeah. he, he's gone down, he's, he's, he's moving down the ranks. He was dumped by May, wasn't he? And then, and then he was sacked by May and then he was brought back by, by, yeah. by um, Johnson. Now, in, the last time all this reared its head, he was the man in charge. He was the Dowden of the time and all the Doris of the time. And at the time, this is in 2015, his media advisor was a young woman called Carrie Simons, who we now know as Mrs. Johnson. Hmm. So she is definitely part of this axis. Whittingdale is the one that's absolutely driven it over the years. He was scuppered last time round, but he's he's back in the ascendancy on this. Uh, Dowden is just in, he talks he was just hopeless, but he he's he set this ball rolling. As I say, that you've got Carrie, but you've also got people in Downing Street who are also behind this. Munira Misa, the one who's just who's who's just who resigned. Went, yeah. Now she was quite a driving force behind privatization. Yes. Anyway, her husband or partner, he is another one, and I think he's still there in Downing Street. So you've got this back backroom thing going. Of course, Nardine will do 
anything that um, Johnson wants. Bowden will do anything that Johnson wants. I mean, that consultation process, it was the ultimate in when did you stop beating your wife? These are the, we've decided we want privatization. Here are the questions that we want you to answer. And you had to explain why you yeah. were answering. So, so you had to give, give evidence to back up your argument. And it actually said that we will pay pay attention to what the reasoning behind what you say. So it's essentially what they were saying. We don't want a petition of a million people saying we don't want Channel Four. We need you to we need or we want to keep Channel Four. You've got to show your workings, otherwise we're not going to take any notice of what you say. And I, that just put me in mind of the referendum because which of course we didn't have to show our workings then to explain. No why leaving EU was a good idea. But of course, you know, 60,000 people have taken part in this, in this, um, in this survey. And, and the fact that the fact that the, what they've said in the survey has not been um, revealed yet would seem to indicate that most of them wanted to keep Channel 4 and yes. not, not private. Yes, I can't imagine that anybody submitted something saying it was a good idea. I really found it quite hard to find anybody who thought it was a good idea beyond Michael Grade. And I mean, back to that consultation process. I mean, it was a three month consultation process that completely coincided with the summer holidays. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it was so skewed. And even when it was that, and then they sat on it for six months and they've not published the, the, um, the, submissions no it, it really is a, it really is amazing isn't it it's um, an absolute stitch up it, it really is and you know i think there's a sense as well that this is probably had had ukraine not happened um had the uh, party gate investigation not happened in the, in the in the way that it has happened I'm not sure he would have got away with this two or three months ago, but I think he he might get away with it now. There's there's some talk of rebellion in the the Commons and the Lords, isn't there? There's people like Peter yeah. Bottomley and you've got Damien Green, Julian Knight, Peter Bottomley, uh, Jeremy Hunt, various people. Although Jeremy Hunt said that he would vote for it as part. No, it was Julian Knight said he would vote for it as part of an overall re revamping of the entire broadcasting world. I don't, I think that it's wishful thinking to think that there'll be sufficient commons revolt because the Tories are just so compliant, you know, you, yes. they find 50 of them, who 40, probably 40 would do now, wouldn't it, um, who, who would vote against. Is, is quite a tall order, but I'm, I sort of, I'm still not sure they'll get it through. It's not part of the manifesto. So the Lords have no duty to let it through. It's, you know, they can't use the Parliament Act to push it yes. through. So the Lords can can um, just keep bashing it back. I mean, she's got to produce a white paper. It's got to have first reading, second reading, got to back and forth. And the Lords can easily scupper this if they've put their minds to it. And I've got a feeling they might. Well, let's hope and, that they, uh, let's hope that they do. I mean, they've only got two years, haven't they? Well, exactly. They have got two years, yes. Um, but God knows what's uh, what's what they've got up their sleeves um, for the rest of the two years. I just wanted to to end with with one other thing because, and it's slightly off piece, but I think it's connected. And in fact, in this week's edition of 
the new European. That there are, as I think, the lead letters are, are about this this issue. It touches on on what you've written about. The pathway to privatisation has been made much easier by having a you know a newly compliant board of directors at, at Channel Four. But I think, as our as our correspondent said. You know, this is part of a wider scandal, isn't it? Oh, yes, the public appointments. Exactly. They're stacking the boards of cultural institutions with their supporters. That's right. It's, it's absolutely wicked the way the way that they have... Um, the, Peter Riddle, the previous um, public appointments commissioner who retired um, at the end of last year, I think, he, he made quite a... And he's, you know, he's... He's as Tory as they come, really, and he made quite a lot of noise about the fact that they were trying to that they were stacking appointments panels with people, and that it was it was not right, and that there were too many political appointments to the appointment panels, and of course it didn't work with Dacre. They wanted Dacre on Ofcom, and they tried. You know, Dacre, Dacre afterwards claimed that the, the appointments panel had been stacked the wrong way. Um, in fact, there were people with conflicts of interest that were more likely to vote for him rather than people with conflicts of interest who were likely to go against him. Um, but it is. It's, they are trying to put every, every, all the museums everywhere. They're, they're, they've changed. It's all culture. It's all on this cultural thing. But, I mean, they're public public appointments across the board, but particularly noticeable in cultural things because the Tories really don't, they think culture is a waste of money, isn't it? You know, sort of, yes. they, they just don't get it. They don't get it for itself. And, and, and they're so don't get it that they don't get it, the fact that it actually makes this country an awful lot of money. I mean, go back to Brexit and, you know, we'll worry about 22,000 fishermen, but we won't worry about billion pound film industry um and and they so they all think that that the culture people they're lefty lovies and so museums broadcasters they just need to they need to have more right thinking people on their thing and and they'd already sort of they they said that they were not going to automatically um reappoint people when their terms came up, which is a reasonable stance. But look at the people that were dumped out of, out of Channel 4. Let's get rid of the women and the people of colour and let's just put in some nice white people. I mean, not a single person of colour on the Channel 4 board. This is an organisation that's supposed to be known for its diversity. Quite remarkable, isn't it? Well, I mean, this in, this issue of, of stacking the boards of cultural institutions and other institutions is, I'm sure, one that we are going to return to with you, Liz Gerard. But uh, but in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us, Liz. It's a pleasure, pleasure to see you again. And you can read Liz on why the government shouldn't privatise Channel 4 in the current issue of The New European. That is the one with uh, the monarchy on the front cover to get full access to Liz's archive of pieces for the new european uh, then please join us at the new european.co.uk slash subscribe great liz gerard there uh, a few more of your suggestions for tv shows starring nadine doris now uh, susan ralph says the walking brain dead 
uh, Sir Wild Goose, uh, a man or a man who remembers the Malin streak. He says the malign streak. Uh, Peter Holt says the weakest think. Uh, this is a good one from Darren Fickling. Dory's Nation Street, a docu-soap where Nadine Dorries runs a single street by her rules, uh, and we see how long it lasts uh, before it's just her alone eating cold super noodles out of a cup. Uh, Pauline Randall says Empty Brain of Britain. Andy Stevens says Desperately Seeking Attention. Leslie Smith says I'm sorry I haven't a clue. Rob Munro says Lost, but not lost enough. Tim Joyce says Mad, Nad and Dangerous to Know. And Simon Wadsworth says the TV show starring Nadine Doris should be called Go Nads. Now, before the Hall of Shame, I want to remind you about a special series of podcasts from the New European. On the night between November 23rd and November 24th, 33 people were trying to stay alive in the English Channel. They were in a tiny inflatable, too many of them, and it was deflating. They called for help over and over again, but nobody came to help them. By morning, they were dead. This was the worst tragedy of its kind, and it took place in one of the world's busiest shipping routes between two of the world's richest countries. In the days that followed, we learnt more about the people who died, men, women and a young child, but their stories were soon eclipsed. First, there was a political row over who was responsible for the deaths. Then the story faded away to be overtaken by government scandals and the coronavirus pandemic. The new European has spent a month retracing the journeys of some of those who perished. Where did they come from? Why did they leave? What drew them to Britain? And why did they have to die when the ships that could have saved their lives were so close? In this three-part series, we tell their stories because they deserve to be told. And we ask, what can be done to fix a system that's so inhumane? The whole series of the 27 is now available to stream or to download in the same new European feed where you found this episode. And if you want to support us to do more brilliant journalism like the 27, then please subscribe, theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe, as I may have said before. Uh, And while we're talking about podcast series one, series two of Great European Lives with Charlie Connolly are out now, they tell the life stories of amazing Europeans in short 10-minute bites. This is a great listen. Uh, I love uh, Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives in the New European, and I love uh, listening to Charlie Connolly. He's got a great voice too. Uh, It's available where you've got this podcast. Check it out, Great European Lives with Charlie Connolly. So uh, finally, we go to the Hall of Shame, the home of blowhard backbenchers, malevolent ministers, putrid pundits, just things that annoy me generally. And of course, uh, she annoys me on a weekly basis, Anne Widdicombe. Uh, her awful column, the awful Daily Express, the awful uh, Anne Widdicombe. Uh, and she's, she's done this one before, um, but here we go again. Doesn't the media just love kicking a man when he's down, says Anne Widdicombe. Who, who could it be this week? It, Prince Andrew's been publicly humiliated. He's lost all his royal roles. He's been ostracised by charities. Uh, but that apparently is not enough. 
Now he must be vilified for accompanying his mother on a family occasion. Uh, there you go. Uh, Anne continues, now Prince Andrew has settled out of court. The cry goes up that he must be guilty and he should never show his face again. What happened to fair play? Yes, I think we should have fair play to uh, for Prince Andrew. And, and let's admit that there's nothing at all to infer from Prince Andrew paying £12 million to a woman that he previously denied even meeting. A pretty Patel is in the Hall of Shame, a home office plan uh, to send refugees who arrive in Britain to Rwanda for case processing has been rubbished by one of Priti Patel's own ministers. The uh, refugee secretary, uh, Richard Harrington, said, um, they haven't told me about this. I'm having difficulty enough getting refugees from Ukraine to our country. There's no possibility of sending them to Rwanda. Um, so um, it's tricky there for Priti Patel. I'm expecting her to now announce that she's been misheard and instead of Rwanda, she actually uh, has signed a deal to have refugees processed in Wakanda, the technically uh, advanced East African country, uh, which is rich in vibranium, obviously, and is run by T'Challa, the Black Panther, with uh, help from the Avengers. So look out for that. David Frost is back in the... Hall of Shame. Uh, the former Brexit secretary wrote in The Telegraph, the ultra-Remainers will seize on anything to try to claim that Brexit is failing. Don't take them seriously. So presumably, uh, we're not to take seriously the work of the Commons Committee, the EFRA Committee, which this week published a damning report illustrating how the government has let down British food producers. In its report, uh, EFRA said, the EFRA Committee rather said, uh, we've been told about the impacts of labour shortages, which are crops unharvested, um, unharvested and rotting. Uh, 35,000 pigs cold, reduced consumer choice, cafes and pubs short-staffed, extra costs, adverse mental well-being uh, on those in the sector. Uh, the evidence that we heard left us in no doubt that labour shortages caused by Brexit, made worse by COVID, badly affected businesses across the food and farming sector. Uh, that is a committee, Commons Committee, that is chaired by a Tory MP, uh, Neil Parrish. He's two things, uh, of course, that David Frost is not. He's a farmer and he's been elected um, as a Tory MP. Uh, so, you know, he's an expert, isn't he? Uh, David Frost, of course, is something that Neil Parrish uh, is not. Uh, he's a halfwit, uh, although he does have a very nice pair of Union Jack socks. Foremost in the Hall of Shame this week, though, of course, is uh, Akshata Murti, uh, Mrs Rishi Sunak. And um, in the week where we all have to pay more national insurance because of Chancellor Rishi Sunak, um, it is somewhat galling to... Uh, turn out that Chancellor Rishi Sunak's wife is avoiding paying more tax because of her non-dom status. So, uh, but well done her, and perhaps uh, she could celebrate with a bottle of non-dom Perignon. That was the New European Podcast with Steve Anglesey. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to our producer, Ellie Longman-Rude. If you don't want to miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe and give us nice reviews, uh, lovely ratings, please. And please listen to our other podcast, The 27, uh, available in this podcast stream, and Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to The New European if you like what we do. That's at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Uh, on social, you can join our Facebook readers group. You can follow The New European on Twitter at The New European. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey. 
Until the next time we meet, so long, snowflakes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.